Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. In order to make change, I think this is what people like Tim and we're all doing, Brad, you and me, is this this movement and people's understanding of what's happening in their environment. And now more than ever with our whole COVID thing right now, you know, we're really valuing our outdoor spaces, you know, to even go for a swim at the beach. And, you know, right now this is a perfect time for, you know, organisations like Tim's, organisations like ours, Brad, to really make an impact politically because, let's face it, huge money is going to be invested. You know, countries all around the globe are going to try and prop up their economies by by boosting an infrastructure. In my opinion, this pandemic has got to teach us an environmental lesson. In terms of COVID, you're right. Now is an incredible opportunity to invest. And traditionally, governments have always tried to stimulate the economy by investing in infrastructure. And that's generally roads and dams. And But why is that the case? It's generally because these projects are actually appropriately scoped out, often designed, and there's a whole bunch of sort of suitably qualified individuals sort of advocating for it. But in the absence of someone doing that essentially for uh, initiatives around protecting our oceans, yeah, government takes the easy way out and just goes for these road and dam infrastructure projects. But I see a significant opportunity for stimulating the economy, protecting the environment, creating a whole bunch of jobs via appropriately scoped out, designed and analysed initiatives around protecting our oceans and waterways. If you've ever dreamed of doing spending money on on, on infrastructure, wouldn't you be doing all the best environmental things that have got the long-term... like? It's just made for people to go, guys, let's take the stead of what we've done. Let's acknowledge what's happening because until we acknowledge it, I mean, we're still arguing climate change or climate, you know, like, come on, we've got to draw a line in the sand and convince our government to go and invest in that situation. And that's what OIO are doing. And I'm very, very proud that you guys are going out there, mate. Tell me, are there any other organizations offering a similar sort of thing at the moment? Yeah, we've got a couple of friendly relationships with similar orgs. There was really no one that popped up in the early stages of our research that was like what we were doing. And then we came familiar with a great project out of America, um, San Francisco, called Sustainable Ocean Alliance, doing fantastic work. And we've built good relationships with them and some of the businesses that they've helped to accelerate. And then a really exciting one out of Norway um, in Oslo called Catapult Ocean. And even since we've gone sort of live this year, one popping out of South Africa, and we're always learning about similar models because 
question obviously is, well, why hasn't this come beforehand? Well, people probably didn't realise just how much of an opportunity there was here, but increasingly it's becoming evident, the scale of the opportunity, so more and more people are sort of starting to peek under the hood and go, oh, wow, we could do that here. And that's great because admittedly in our first few years of operation, we're going to be focused on Australia, the Pacific, Southeast Asia. We're not probably going to be going global you know, next year, but we definitely have ambitions to go as big as required to make the biggest impact we possibly can. Is there any sort of key initiatives that you guys are currently working with or on that you can give us a bit of an insight on? The first thing for us is, you know, we're talking a big game here. The first pitch deck that we started to show to philanthropists and and key decision makers was, look, we're going to do our best to accelerate 100 businesses in five years. Wildly ambitious. So everyone's sort of like waiting and going, okay, guys, like, let's, let's see what you can do. And so we haven't, Yet, aside from being able to accept those uh, expressions of interest on the website, we've not done yet a big, wide-open call-out to say, hey, everyone, if you've yes. got that idea, now's the time to apply. So that's what we're going to be doing over June and July. Mm. So make sure you go check us out, follow the channels, because you're going to hear about the first opportunity to apply. And then, should that be the marriage of us and some perfectly aligned projects, then we go straight into our first cohort off that. And we start to really start to help these guys through all those little problems that they've got to elevate them, link up investment, and away they go. The idea is you guys come in, fantastic. You're part of the alumni. We'll make sure you're okay. Move on to the next one. And it has to be, you know, a bit of a conveyor belt if we're going to achieve that widely ambitious goal of 100 businesses in five years. How's the interest been so far since you've launched? How's it gone? Oh, it's been incredible. Honestly, the way that the community of people out there from all walks of life, be it investment, mentors, startups, entrepreneurs, founders, it's been, it's been wild. So, and you know, we're a lean team. It's, it's me, Nick, a few volunteers and some great supporters and advisors. So we're new, but my gosh, all the indications, we're getting a lot actually at the moment, like genuinely corporate interest, even though everything's been a bit on a freeze and a bit of a pause. I think people are starting to look beyond COVID and so corporates are coming in and, and we're you know, doing a bit of dating, speed dating with some, some great corporates. So to be frank, we need a lot of support to do the best work that we can do yeah. here. So that mixture of corporate, philanthropy, donations from the public, commercial, you know, fee-for-service as well as government support, we need it all. Yeah. And obviously, Take Three for the Sea is focused entirely on plastic pollution in our oceans. Is that the focus of ocean impact or are you guys looking at essentially the whole gamut of ocean issues and solutions? Yeah, we are looking at the whole gamut and uh, a very important point that we make when we're communicating to stakeholders is that we want to be industry and technology agnostic. We care about making a positive impact on the ocean. We are very, very open to how you do that. Mm. But we tend to operate in six key theme areas. So I can talk you through these. I think Mm, it'll help people understand how their business can relate to a key theme. So Ocean Protect, perfectly aligned for ocean health, right? So think about anything out there that can improve the health of our ocean and waterways. You are in there, smack bang, ocean health, solutions for plastic pollution, circular economy, everything, all that stuff related to micro, nanoplastics, pollutants, et cetera. Then harvesting, a huge portion of the world's population relies upon the ocean for their protein and for their livelihoods. So harvesting is here to stay. We can make so many improvements to the way we harvest protein, the way we harvest seafood, obviously, 
the way we harvest resources. Then we can look at like uh, uh, transportation and security. I mentioned before about mm-hmm. just the incredible role that maritime transportation plays out on our planet's functioning global economy. So lots of improvements there and around security as we sort of face an increasingly challenging and complicated world. Ocean energy. I find this one absolutely fascinating. And I actually did a podcast recently with the CEO of the Australian Ocean Energy Group. There is brilliant people out there trying to find ways to harness renewable energy from the ocean, be it from waves or tides. We go on then to sort of inspiration. So obviously, this is a very passionate one for me. Like Mm. if you've got any sort of creative communications or media, or maybe there's some tourism that you can do, anything that makes people feel more inspired by Planet Ocean and communicates that to the masses, then you could certainly fulfill that role there. New Frontiers is another massive one, right? So marine permaculture, for example, people out there, big thinkers are imagining a future where we live in offshore cities that are all self-regulating and regenerative. Like, where are those big moonshot ideas that may take decades to form, but there's going to be people keen to invest in research and commercialising these wild new frontiers. Mm. So how do we go there? Ocean health, harvesting, energy, transportation, (laughs) inspiration, new frontiers. I got all six. Wow. And there's... Two of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Obviously, capitalism is often considered a, a bad thing, but essentially you're embracing a lot of the good attributes of capitalism for a benevolent purpose in terms of protecting our oceans. Is that a fair call? It is. The big thing for me, and I hope it, it comes across, is just this sort of realisation that the solutions to this sustainable future for planet ocean lie in diversity and I've been a massive champion of that very traditional activism oriented environmentalism and I think that it is going to be a bit of a stretch for a lot of people to suddenly go oh so actually good capitalism can be good for the future like it's yeah, yeah. on one side of the equation you've got people saying like you know the business that they're normally seeing are sort of seemingly inherently bad and there is a lot of bad businesses out there And some of those bad businesses are doing a little bit better and then wanting to be celebrated and absolutely praised, well done. But that's one thing. We can celebrate that to a degree without losing sight of the fact that they need to be inherently good through their DNA. That is a solution to actually a sustainable capitalistic future where they do good to people on the planet absolutely before they go and deliver dividends to shareholders. If we just sort of keep business as usual going on, then it's pretty evident things are going to get really, really bad. But capitalism is kind of so, it's so deeply entrenched that whether we can imagine a future where it's a different version completely or whether we can imagine the stages it's going to go through to get there, the bottom line is we need to stimulate it getting better and we need to do that quickly. So it's an experiment for me. I'm basically putting out a hypothesis personally to the world to say, can business be beautiful for the planet? You indicated before, Tim, that this is a bit of a, an experiment for you. Obviously, it's a, it's a new enterprise. It's a, it's a new role. And obviously, you've been working in this sort of ocean space and ocean conservation, ocean protection for a long time. And the ocean is facing some significant issues. But are you optimistic about the future health of our oceans? Oh, like anyone working in the environment space, you have to be the glass half full optimist or you probably wouldn't be doing it. But that is obviously met with 
the other side, which is, you know, you, you, you do deeply despair and you are deeply concerned. And for me, it just comes down to, you know, a very philosophical standpoint that I, as an individual human, one of many, many billion of us that share this pale blue dot, like I'm just going to give it the best crack I can to give it a fighting chance of continuing beyond our human species. It will. It's just about really our collective self-interest in keeping what is ultimately a bloody good thing. We've been gifted a beautiful functioning planet that we really had one job. We had one job was to keep it beautiful and thriving and wonderful. And we can't seem to get that right. So, you know, I'm willing to get a little bit disruptive in order to try and give it a good chance. And, you know, I don't have, I don't have children, so I'm not doing it solely so the next generation can do it. I do it for the collective billions of species that we share the pale blue dot with. Because who are we, just one landlubber who thinks they're absolutely the shit, can just go and stuff it up for everybody else? <laughs> and if I can speak on behalf of the collective billions of people, uh, Tim, uh, and all the uh, critters in the ocean, we all thank you very much for your uh, work to date. And I uh, certainly look forward to seeing what you achieve in the next uh, 10 years or so. I just want to talk about the political landscape that we're, that we're lying in. You know as much as, as we know, governments run the way governments run. And it's got to be a good idea for them and it's got to make, you know, sense. And right now, you know, as a note, we're trying to, about to lobby government, we're trying to say, essentially, we've got a jobs-ready package we think we can employ. And these are calculations that have been run through lots of people, but essentially 7,500 people over a 10-year period. We want $5.7 billion invested into the stormwater industry, $500 million across a 10-year period. We think that we can roughly remove 600 wheelie bins of plastic a day. We can maintain existing infrastructure that should be maintained because that's what they're designed to do and and really they're just polluting the waterways now. So go back and fix the legacy problem, but also install new infrastructure within hotspot areas throughout Australia. And uh, the money we're going for is to try and go down into local government to employ local people, skill them up. They might have lost their job from Qantas Virgin. Skill those people up. Look, the, the finer details aren't quite sorted yet, but what I will say is it, it is a complete package to go to government to say, hey, let's let's fix our waterways. Let's employ people long-term because these things all need to be maintained. Now, you know enough about what's going on, Tim. You know enough about our industry. You know GPTs don't get cleaned. How much of, 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 of this, you know, I guess, comes down to government and really convincing them? I mean, now that you're in potentially in business, it, it's very different. You, I mean, everyone would have taken a call from Tim Silwood at Take 3. Do, do people still take your call at OIO? Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, that's obviously one of the big challenges I face in sort of really launching and kickstarting this new endeavor is sort of saying, look, you know, you trusted and respected me for all that I had to say about plastics and waste over all those years and I want you to trust and respect me that I've got something important to say about this particular endeavour. You know, uh, it was early to market for Take 3 back in 2009 to start talking about what we saw was a very evident impending disaster. And what I'm saying now is that is evident even more so, Mm. so we need new solutions and we need them quickly. So, look, I feel to your point that We can't have the government on one hand, like Scott Morrison at the UN General Assembly a couple of years ago, making a big, bold declaration about how Australia was going to be a world leader on tackling plastics and restoring the health of our waterways without that then translating into the investment required to actually do it. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're proposing is a really, really exciting manoeuvre. I think that mobilising people into employment ticks a lot of boxes for where the government needs to be heading to really start to restore the economy. I guess I just worry that we all should be worried that at the end of the day, the country's going into significant debt and they're going to be looking for how on earth they can start to fill those coffers again. Mm. And we know that Australia has a lot of revenue that comes from resource extraction. Mm. And so we've got to be deeply concerned and vigilant that when they're putting that together and sure, Maybe that does form part of the economic stimulus, but let's not be myopic here. We need to sort of remember what it is that they're saying they want to achieve long-term and find ways, which is what you're trying to do, find ways to meet those legacy objectives as well as meeting the immediate objectives, which is restoring the economy. And this is where I'm going with it, mate. I think the perfect time for OIO to pounce now and the perfect time for people to get involved is now. You know, now more than ever, we're going to look at the way we've done things, more investigations into everything that we've done, transport, we're going to change our lives, we're going to live differently. I mean, there's no plan B, as, as we've all said. And I think now is a very good time to grasp this and and to have a voice and to go in. I don't know, Brad, if you want to add a comment, but... Like Tim mentioned the resource industry before, the uh, Queensland government announced in the middle of this pandemic that they've released another 7,000 square kilometres of Queensland open for gas and I think uh, coal exploration. And I mentioned before how government has traditionally used road and dam infrastructure projects to stimulate the economy and investment. But again, that for my mind, that's the reason they do this is because they, they're used to the business as usual. They're, they're used, they're, they're, they have political lobbyists rapping on their doors. And and these groups are from mining, road, and other sort of, I guess, uh, status quo industries. There's been very little lobbying uh, from an environmental perspective, at least a a very little well-resourced lobbying from an environmental perspective. Like Ocean Protect is is doing some government lobbying, but that's a very new thing for any environmental organisation to actually do significant lobbying. It's not just about lobbying. You need to have an appropriately scoped out and, and costed 
and analyze plan. And it's actually very difficult for a lot of uh, environmental groups and, and industries to actually do that because they're generally poorly resourced, poorly funded, and often, this sounds terrible to say, poorly organized as well. And that's where I think the, the, this is where I think uh, the niche of that ocean impact is sort of coming into and supporting is really, really exciting uh, because it, it obviously brings it brings these all these sort of necessary things together, you know, expertise, resources, etc., to appropriately scope out various initiatives and try to get them essentially happening in the most effective manner. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. It's poetry when it all works, and <laughs> you know, we can only hope it. It, it does its best work because yeah the model the model is broken right whether it's you know whether it's the lobbyists and people of influence getting in there and corrupting democracy or whether it's simply the balance sheet that says the government's going to fill up its reserves much quicker by opening up that oil and gas exploration or by building that coal mine and sticking with what's worked for the last few decades big to surplus yeah versus taking a bit of a risk and this is I suppose where I get particularly frustrated about politics like I make it relatively clear that sure in the long term I might have some political aspirations I'm definitely not ready to go there yet because politics needs to improve it needs to freaking behave itself we all just had to go and lock ourselves away and have a good hard think about ourselves no one needed to do that more than bloody politics and so I find some really refreshing figures out there now in the Australian landscape, and I might shine a little spotlight on someone like Sean Doherty, who's a surfer and a surf journalist who was so influential in the fight for the bike campaign that helped to prevent Norway's um, Equinor, you know, stat oil getting down there and drilling. You know, it's still contentious. There is a license that could be picked up by somebody else, but he's just mobilised communities of everyday people to get out on their surfboards and kayaks and go for a swim and show a sign of solidarity for a vision for the future that doesn't involve oil and gas on our horizon. And that's why, for me, if we can foster that and keep doing what is essentially a very special thing, that has to then start to translate into the level of political influence that can start to Mm. choose how we run our country in the future. There's a study that's come out, it's horrific in regards to an analysis done by the University of Manchester found up to 1.9 million plastic pieces per square metre. This is in the Mediterranean, near Italy. On the bottom of the ocean. On the bottom of the ocean. What are your thoughts, bro? The next phase of our understanding of just how plasticised our planet has become and how we've become as a result is really going to start to look, obviously, at the detail around the density. So that's a really good example. But I cannot help but be led by it's going to be about how much is in us. Mm. We obviously have come a long way in recent years in understanding microplastic pollution, you know, predominantly from textiles. And that was obviously horrific at first. We realized just how much would leave our clothes when we put them through the spin cycle of our washing machines. Yet how much appreciation did we think to the, the shimmying of us walking in our daily lives wearing a polyester shirt or sleeping in acrylic sheets or the carpet in the offices where we work day in, day out with people shuffling all around, movie cinemas. I remember dedicated moments when I'd be walking into a dimly lit cinema to do one of my you know, engagement events and it's literally this cloud of dust. You make your bed. You know, We are living in amongst a cloud of plastic. 
It's obviously being breathed in, we're eating it, we're drinking it. So I think the more and more we realize about just how much of this is settling into us to the bottom of the ocean, swirling around our atmosphere in Antarctic ice, Mm. I think we're going to start to go, actually, I don't want that plasticized planet and I'm going to start to take active steps myself. We already are. We're using our keep cups and we're being good recyclers and reducing here and there, but we need a complete change in the way that we look at this material because it's not inert. Mm. It is creating a cloud around us everywhere we go. doesn't take much of a stretch to join the dots together. Uh, from a layman's perspective, anyone say, yeah, look, the plastic in our oceans and in our environment has to be a public health hazard. 1.9 million pieces of microplastic per square metre. And I also saw another one recently that was like underwater avalanches. So obviously the ocean floor isn't just flat. It's full of incredible canyons and trenches and all sorts of drop-offs. And so avalanches occur, right, when sediment mm. settles down. But, you know, increasingly it's not just the natural sediment that's falling down. It's this cloud of microscopic plastic dust, which is now causing underwater avalanches. I mean, that is just, to me, mind-blowing. Well, can I ask you a hypothetical question, Tim? Recognising that only a very small percentage of the plastic in our oceans is actually at the surface, we think roughly about 1% of plastic in our oceans is at the surface. If a, if a young, intrepid boy in Slat came to Ocean Impact Organisation when he was just starting, what, what sort of advice would you sort of give him? Yeah, look, I still am a massive advocate for circular economy and realising that materials are so heavily valued when we extract them from the planet. What on earth are we thinking in designing and modelling them into a single-use application? Like everything needs to be designed for, you know, reproduction and, re, you know, disassembly and reproduction. So I still am a massive fan for that. Obviously, if it was going to be some sort of incredible mitigation to stop this stuff getting into the ocean then as close as you can get to the source Mm. as possible is the simple focus so you guys do a fantastic job of that yeah but i'd also make sure that you're not led by the the glossier glossy desire to be a superstar hero you're led by data and good Mm. quality scientific research and analysis to make sure that your efforts are going to be driven by positive impact A key question, Tim, is obviously you've been in this space for a long time. There's a whole bunch of issues facing the uh, health of our oceans. But are you hopeful that we'll actually restore the health of our oceans? One of the books I read in my early days of fostering my passion for environmentalism and activism was a book by Paul Gilding called The Great Disruption. And I suppose this is something that many deep green ecos, you know, we're attracted to this idea of, the planetary bounds actually causing us to have this sort of contraction. I've actually got in front of me here a book by James Lovelock called, you know, The Gaia Hypothesis. Mm, This is the stuff about the planet being something of a self-regulating system Mm. where no one species can actually push us past the planetary means because some greater force, i.e. biological, will actually intercept and kind of create a bit of homeostasis. Mm. So I'm actually... As much as this is a devastating experience for humanity to go through, I'm buoyed by the fact this may not be the great disruption, but it is a disruption. It's a pause. It's a moment for reflection. And I think it is the first of many. Mm. And I think that we have shown that when something comes down hard and fast, 
we can actually do remarkable things. Look at all the businesses that were able to quickly react and be agile to suddenly start helping with the, the positive reaction to this problem. So no government can ever tell us again mm. that we can't mobilize quickly to solve you know, these big crises that we're going to face. So they've almost, you know, they've showed us their hand. Mm. we need to make them not realize and not forget the fact that we know what they can actually do. So Mm. to that end, I am hopeful, but we just, we have a habit of being complacent. Some of the greatest minds in the world Mm. make it evidently clear that these are risks, but we've put them in the shelf because we don't want to go there. So something needs to change in the human spirit, the human makeup to Mm. actually have us have foresight. If we can channel that, we can solve any problem. Mr. Silwood, I mean, look, you, you, you've done so much for the environment. You've done so much for Take 3 for the Sea. Uh, such an honour to sit here and have a chat with you tonight. Brad, like always, so good that we do a podcast because we learn so much from people like you. So thanks for coming on our show. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's the, I always say this podcast is like the biggest scam of all time. We, we get to talk to some incredible individuals. And Tim, uh, you are certainly no exception. You've, like Jeremy indicated, you've done amazing work with Take Three for the Sea. And honestly, I'm genuinely excited to see, uh, what amazing things you achieve uh, through Ocean Impact Organization. And I really congratulate you for uh, starting it. And like I said, I, I just wish you all the very best in the future. Thanks so much, guys. And um, yeah, keep up the fantastic work. You know, I've, I've done a lot of equal commendations on the, on the wonderful stuff that you've done. I think you are contributing in such a positive way and you're right there by our side as we try and create a culture of good business to help Planet Ocean. So thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.